0: Hi, we're the ladies of LifeSight, and we're so glad you're here. We're ladies simply navigating the challenges and triumphs of this modern culture as moms, wives, sisters, and daughters. Join us each week as we discuss the raw questions and situations that we face every day from our unique perspectives. So grab your cup of coffee, tea, or beverage of choice, and let's dive into this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Ladies of Lifesight. Today, I'm joined by Megan Mulherin to help me interview and converse with our guest today, which I'm really excited about this guest. I actually had the honor and privilege of meeting him at a conference in Oklahoma just a few months ago, and he's one of those people that you just meet, and I said, this guy is my kind of people. So I'm really excited to welcome Mike Adams, who's known as The Health Ranger, he runs naturalnews.com, among many other sites, including Brighteon, which is a video platform that was started with the aim to kind of combat YouTube censorship, even before YouTube and big tech became much more targeted with their canceling of various voices. So thank you so much for joining us, Mike.
1: Well, thank you, Rebecca. It's it's really great to join you. I'm honored to be here. I really love the work that you're doing and that your your entire site is doing. Uh, LifeSite News is my favorite site. I mean, literally, uh, it's at the top of uh, News that we run as well, and we're citing your stories all the time. So you're doing amazing work. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. So I know I have... Lots of questions. There's probably tons that we could talk about from natural living to COVID situation and the shot to censorship and current social climate. So just last week, you and I chatted briefly about how things are kind of hitting hard and quick. And it kind of sounds a lot like a lot like revelations, which I'm sure there's there's been generations before us who have kind of said the same thing. But we have a lot of the technology um, that's infiltrating our environment that that just there's so much going on so kind of to start out with I would love to hear maybe a little bit of your story like how did you come into where you are now what was the progression of kind of getting here and then maybe we'll just go go from there because I know you actually experienced cancel culture before it was a hashtag so I know that's part of kind of your journey to get get where we are so let's start there
1: I was deplatformed in 2014 by YouTube and Facebook soon thereafter, going back long before that, I you know it's worth mentioning. I went to a four-year university in the Midwest. I would have been considered a progressive at that time. I, I didn't go to church. I thought even though I wasn't into politics at the time, I thought Bill Clinton was awesome because he played the saxophone. We didn't have the internet. CNN was filling my brain with propaganda, and I was at a university. So from there to today, it has been a journey of awakening and discovery and then you know bringing truly not just, not just God into my life, but divinity into my life, and then having run Natural News for many, many years, then over the last couple of years, deciding to be very public about positions that that involve pro-life position for example exposing the the destruction of unborn human children and just being very public about that and and also becoming more and more uh, you know conservatives uh, I, i suppose you would call it conservative in my beliefs over the years but we lost some audience in that process and then we gained new audiences that are now very solid amazing people they're into preparedness they're into natural health they're into off-grid living homesteading they read the bible they they practice biblical principles and they are you know pro life pro america pro constitution pro self defense pro natural health you know all these things so what my realm actually is in the end here I'll wrap this up is it doesn't fit into the box of liberals or conservatives or GOP or Democrats, because a lot of our people are former Democrats who are into like hippie lifestyles, even, you know, off-grid living, uh, growing their own food, harvesting, wildcrafting herbs and so on. But they're principled people. They believe in the principles of life, the principles of consciousness, the principles of morality and, and ethics and treating people with compassion and protecting life. And that's, that's who we are. That's what we represent. And it just so happens that all of those views are now censored. (laughs) So so there we go. That's how we we came to be.
0: What made you kind of start the journey? Because I feel like preparedness, natural living, like all of that stuff is just kind of, there's something that kind of pushes you that direction. So tell us how you kind of started in that. And then what made you start sharing that information with other people?
1: Well, I came from the computer science industry, I started a software company back in the 1990s. And by about 2000, I was very unhealthy and I was borderline obese and, and borderline type two diabetic and had chronic pain and and cholesterol problems and all kinds of things. And I didn't know anything about health at the time. Someone turned me on to a book about sugar. And I I had grown up drinking soda, not a lot, but you know, from time to time, especially in college, you know, Mountain Dew just for the caffeine, just to study for finals and things like that. So from this book, I realized, my goodness, there's a connection between what we eat and the health results we get, which seems obvious today. But 20 plus years ago, not a lot of people were really thinking about that. We were told that a calorie is a calorie, that there's no such thing as as an herb, that's a medicine, that there's no such thing as good food versus bad food. It's all the same, we were told. We were told that by doctors. But then I began to realize I took sugar out of my diet and my symptoms went away. And I stopped having hypoglycemia. I stopped having blood sugar problems and started dropping weight and so on. And I very rapidly got into nutrition. And within a couple of years, I started sharing that with other people. That was around 2003. Uh, which is when I started what became natural news. So I've been doing this for now, what, 18 years or, or something close to that. And I just began teaching people about natural medicine and then ultimately how to prevent cancer, diabetes, Alzheimer's, hypoglycemia, you know, all, chronic pain, osteoporosis, all of these things can be prevented through food and diet. And then around 2013, I started a food science laboratory because I wanted to know what was in the food. I wanted to know the heavy metals and the pollution and the pesticides and herbicides that are in the food. So I started what became a multi-million dollar laboratory facility. It's called CWC Labs and got into mass spec uh, instrumentation and hired PhDs to come train me and then gathered chemists and staff and everything. And now we we test thousands of raw materials a year for you know, for heavy metals and glyphosate, I ended up getting published in a, in a science journal called LCGC Chromatography Online for developing a method for the quantitation of cannabinoids in hemp extracts using mass-spec instrumentation. So, <laughs> from I mean, it, it's, it's a crazy story, but that's how I got to this place, which is being a, a prepper, an advocate of clean food, an advocate of living a life in alignment with Christian principles, protecting life, telling the truth and exposing evil, you know, exposing the lies, exposing the deception, teaching people how to stay out of the hospital and not get on prescription medications. So that's what earned me censorship, because the, the drug companies don't want people to teach others how to not need their drugs. And they certainly don't want anyone countering the official narratives on things like COVID or vaccines. So that that's how I got completely censored and have been for years.
0: And like you said, it's it's right along everything that you're teaching and and sharing, and all of that information is right along the lines of biblical principles. Like this is this is what we're called to do. So, I do think it's kind of funny you mentioned you know the big pharma and doctors and all of that don't really want to share how to not have prescription meds. So, I'm in my third pregnancy. And every time, like this is the only time that I really go to the doctor on a regular basis because I don't really need to. I don't have any chronic illnesses. I'm I'm a fairly healthy individual. And uh, every time, they always doubt and question multiple times. Like, are you really sure you're not on any prescription meds? I'm like, yep, I'm just taking like a prenatal, like multivitamin. I've got some, you know, supplements. Like I take, you know, stuff for like a uh, turmeric and and ginger for you know, inflammation and other things like that that I take, but they don't classify that anywhere. But they always ask every time I come in for every appointment, are you, and are you taking any prescription? No, nope, none. So it's it's kind of amazing to me that I'm like, is it really that hard to believe that, you know, a 30 something <laughs> woman is, is not taking any prescription meds, but in today's society, it, it seems like it is. So
1: yeah, they've got everybody on so many meds, uh, especially yeah. the elderly and in yes. the retirement centers and so on. Yeah. People are on yeah. 12 prescriptions. I know. Yeah. It's crazy.
0: It's scary too. Cause as you talked about, you know, with your, with your lab and I'm sure other things that you've done, you know, that you, that you deal with too, is what else is in this, these prescription meds and what else is it doing to your body and the side effects. And, you know, you take one to help with X, Y, Z, you know, symptoms, and then this causes other symptoms. So you have to take another med to help with those symptoms and just continues on. So you mentioned this lab, and I know you and I had a had a conversation a little bit ago about kind of the research that you've been doing. Is this the same lab that you used for the research that you're doing into the COVID virus and the shot and all of that? And kind of what can you... Can you talk about a little bit of what you've discovered and what you're planning to research and
1: all of that? We have been a food science lab for many years. And, and by the way, we're ISO accredited as a lab. So we're, we're listed, accredited under international standards, which means we're audited every year and we have to prove proficiency where they send us samples of, uh, for example, uh, water that has an unknown quantity of a specific contaminant. And we have to identify the, the exact uh, micrograms per milliliter of that contaminant, and send it back, and and have it accurate. So we are we are tested and accredited, and that means that anything that we find can be entered as evidence in any court of law, in the Western world, including Europe. So so everything that that I'm stating here can be used as evidence in a court of law. Typically, we look we look at foods, but recently, because of COVID, people have been sending me things like uh, covid swabs and masks and in some cases vaccines to look at so with our mass spec instrumentation it's it's not really the right instrument to look at what's in a what's on a swab for example so we have we've upgraded our digital microscopy to be able to to look with very high powered high end you know this, this kind of microscope costs around, I think, $90,000 to look and, and take videos and pictures of what's on the, on the swabs, you know, what's happening with the masks. There's some masks that have had uh, graphene particles in them and that children are inhaling the graphene and it's causing asbestos-like damage to their respiratory system. But more importantly, we're beginning to look at the vaccines through optical microscopy. And I'm not ready to release the results of that yet because I want to be very certain. We're using various staining techniques that are typically used in microbiology labs. And we don't have a scanning electron microscope in our lab currently, so we're not able to do electron microscopy, which might be over zooming in. And the magnification may be too high anyway on that. So we are going to release some results of what we're finding through optical microscopy. I can tell you from what I've seen so far with my own eyes, uh, I have a lot of questions. There are things in this vaccine that, as a scientist myself, I'm asking, why is this here? Because I've looked at other vaccines and I've never seen anything like this. That's all I'm going to say right now until we can uh, provide more detailed you know, photos and data about what this is.
0: There's been quite a bit kind of coming out about the graphene. Can you elaborate a little bit for our listeners about what that is? What, like, you're seeing it in masks, yes, but what's the concern here?
1: Yes, I'm familiar with the research that has been put out by, I think it's called La Quinta Columna out of Spain, that is claiming the presence of of graphene oxide at a high amount, a high proportion of the mass of the vaccine. I'm aware of that, I've I've not covered it yet because I haven't been able to independently verify that, although we may be able to at some point. One of the difficult things about microscopy is when you're looking at something, you can't simply identify it just by looking at it. Often you have to do um, an atomic spectroscopy analysis to find out what elements are in these molecules. And we have that instrumentation but certain certain elements can't be analyzed like oxygen because oxygen's in the air and so on. I'm not going to go into all the, uh, you know, geeky technical details about how ICPMS works. But identifying unknown substances that you see in a microscope is extremely difficult from a science point of view. And you, you know, some of your listeners may find this strange. Here I am talking about science when we opened up, you know, with a prayer and talking about God and talking about divinity. But I just want to say on the record, everything that we look at in science is an expression of the mind of God. So God created the universe. God created the laws of physics. God created in essence then the table of elements. So when we look at oxygen or nitrogen or cadmium or or carbon or carbon chains, these are all expressions of the mind of God. And as a scientist, it's, I think it's important to keep in mind that all we are doing is asking questions of God's mind. You know, that's all we're doing in science is saying, wow, this, this, this is a mystery. This cosmos is, is a great mystery. God has set things into motion that we barely understand. And using these scientific instruments and, and microscopes and so on, we may be able to glean just a little tiny bit of understanding about what has been created for us. But we, as scientists, are not the masters of the universe. We are we are humble little servants trying to figure out what God created. That's it.
0: That's exactly what what science should be is recognizing who we are and what role we play in all of this. So I um. I love that, and I think that's part of why the Lord has blessed you with being able to to see a lot of that truth and share that. And it all makes sense, you know how you how you're sharing that information. It's logical; it's a logical progression <laughs> each time. So,
1: and the more closely you look at something, the more you realize uh, there's there's nothing actually there that's physical. By the way, <laughs> even the subatomic particles, they all go away into vibrations and probabilities and and energy and all, all the energy in the universe was created by God from from yeah. the very first moment.
0: I was actually just talking to me, to my three-year-old about that. And it was kind of amazing just to watch his, his brain kind of try and wrap around the fact that, you know, God spoke our world into being and that he created everything. And it was just, it's fascinating and really fun to kind of share. And of course his three-year-old mind can, can hardly contain all of that. I mean, I can't I can't either so so but it was just really fun to share that with him. So I'm gonna shift gears a little bit and just kind of ask what are your kind of general broad or specific I guess if you want to get a little specific about something in particular thoughts about what's going on in the world right now? You're obviously diving into to a lot of different areas and kind of seeing things from a pretty high level, much like we do here at lifesight obviously. We've got a lot of topics that we cover, and so we're touching on on various things, whether it's related to pro-family, pro-life, pro-medical freedom, you know, all of these different areas, and there's just so, so much going on. So I'd just love to hear kind of your analysis, kind of your thoughts, and then kind of from there, where do we go as parents, as disciples of Christ working in this world that is that is so broken, How do we respond?
1: I don't self-censor very often, so I'll just lay it out, what my beliefs are in this area. I think we are living through an epic uh, spiritual battle between good and evil, and I believe that we are witnessing the attempted takedown of Western civilization and of human civilization. And I believe that it's not just bad government, for example, that's trying to do this, or globalists as people typically refer to, but I believe there is a satanic influence that is very real, that is working with people who are willing to give themselves over to Satan, and that there are then uh, demonic and satanic influences throughout Hollywood and culture, education, but also now having crept into the realm of science, where they are building uh, these spike protein biological weapons through genetic engineering and making weapons that are designed to exterminate human beings. And I think if you look at the spike protein, this might be the perfect molecular representation of, of a, a satanic molecule. It's designed to kill human beings specifically, and it was built with the intention to do that. So, So... In contrast to the intention of God, God creating the universe with the intention of promoting life and consciousness and free will, the freedom to uh, explore and express and learn and uh, gain wisdom and knowledge in the world, the opposing force has the intention to destroy, to cause uh, suffering, to cause death and destruction. And that is what they are doing. That is exactly what they are doing and they are going to succeed at some level but i believe ultimately of course they will be stopped we know that uh, jesus returns god wins in the end we you know we've read this we know what happens in the end but between now and then there will be tremendous suffering and tremendous destruction and, and as you've kind of hinted we don't know the hour or the day of when what's happening we don't know has the tribulation begun or is it 50 years in the future We don't know those things exactly, but we know there will be suffering and then there will be salvation. The suffering is what we are really beginning to see accelerating right now. And they are going to attack us, not just with the biological weapons, but I also happen to believe there is a financial event coming, which will be a debt bomb uh, implosion on a global scale because of the runaway debt and the money printing, the careless spending. There are economic consequences to this. And part of my message has been to warn people to prepare for this this economic implosion and to minimize the harm to you by not being left holding dollars when all of this comes down. And yet at the same time, we don't want to jump into something like a central bank cryptocurrency mark of the beast kind of system, which is being openly talked about now. An RFID chip embedded in your skin or a palm print Jeff Bezos with uh, Amazon and Whole Foods is right now experimenting with a biometric scanner to do your commercial transactions at Whole Foods in the state of Washington. Uh, so that is just classic mark of the beast, a mark on your palm in order to buy food, in order to engage in commerce. And you know, you have to start asking about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, no joke. When you look at what's happening in the world, you know, the the plagues, the economic situation the the spike protein that's being deliberately injected into people and so on. I'm not saying that I know what's going to happen or exactly how it's going to look, but I believe we need to be ready. We need to be ready for what's coming, and we need to be prepared to be more self-reliant in terms of living off-grid, handling our own emergency medicine where possible, uh, having assets that are not denominated in dollars or central bank fiat currency. And I also believe that we have to have healthy skepticism Of any official narrative from drug companies or government whether it's local or national or corporations that may profit while we suffer and die so we have to have that skepticism that ability to think for ourselves while moving forward in faith knowing that we can survive this we can make it to the end game here and that we win in the end and we win as long as we don't surrender to the satanic influence so Whether you live or die through all of this, you still, quote, win, you succeed as long as you maintain your relationship with Jesus Christ and you you ask for God's protection in your life and you do not give yourself over to the demonic influence as so many people have. You know, don't go in with pedophilia. You know, don't go in with human trafficking. Don't go in with the propagandists and the liars who are offered, you know, celebrity status or money or fame. For pushing a satanic agenda, uh, you can save your soul by uh, honoring God, or you can destroy your entire existence, including your soul, if, if you choose the wrong party here, if you, if you choose Satan. So, hopefully, people won't do that. That's, that's the core of my message.
2: My main question for you that I've had I have been trying to prepare, you know, going forward as best I can, my family, whether it's food and water and, and all of those things certain supplements or um, herbs that I can grow that will be beneficial, you know, if you had to give someone your, you know, it's where to start, because it's, it's overwhelming, if you are looking yes. at it, you know, it's like, oh, I don't know where to begin. So what is your recommendation, you know, where to start or resources, I believe you have resources that on your own website that you could suggest, just for people to try to, get a plan of, you know, where to start, what to start with, so that they could feel prepared, you know, if, if anything, as things go forward and continue to get worse.
1: Well, you're right. It, it can feel overwhelming. And there, there are so many things to do. I think the, the key thing is to, if you can get into a more rural area, because rural areas then provide so many of the resources, resources that you need for preparedness, such as uh, free water supplies, a river or a stream or a water well, perhaps with a hand pump on it so that if the grid goes down or if we have a societal collapse or even a regional collapse, which I experienced in Texas in February of this year when the entire power grid went down, by the way, and we had freezing cold weather, pipes were bursting everywhere, the cell towers were down, the roads were impassable, emergency services were shut down. I experienced that directly and my dog fell through the ice in my pond as well and I had to rescue him, which I did. But I had all that happen to me, and it was not easy. But because I was in a rural area, I could collect water off, off of a roof as it was melting with sunshine. I I could find emergency food. I had stored emergency food myself, but wild areas have wild food. There are seven or eight sources of food on on my ranch, not necessarily in the winter, but you're, in other seasons, there, there are different types of wild foods that, that you can harvest. And so cities become very dangerous to be to, to, to be in when uh, water supply stops and electricity stops and fuel and emergency services and telecommunications all shut down. Cities collapse very, very quickly, whereas rural areas become, uh, are, are more re- resilient. So, th- so number one is get to a rural area. And then once you're there, and it could be maybe you, you have you know a couple acres of land in a semi-suburbia area, and that's great too. But just make sure you've got an acre or two of land because then you can start to grow some food. And even if you've never grown food, you can start with easy things based on your climate, whatever works for you. It's very easy to grow garlic and onions and root vegetables, uh, potatoes and beets and so on. These things can be life saving. And I'll say here, too, on the record, I believe a day is coming soon because there's engineered uh, famine on the horizon. You know, I'm in the commercial food industry and we have seen extreme shortages happening we used to be able to sign 12-month contracts with food suppliers that work with farmers in the united states we've been told recently that those contracts can only be 90 days because there's no guarantee of how much food will be available after 90 days we were told that around july 1st by the way and we buy by the ton we buy truckloads pallets of food you know tens of thousands of pounds in many cases of food and even we're not going to be able to get what we want but a food rationing is probably coming to America. This is my belief, much like Venezuela. And anything that you can grow is food that's extra. You know, the government may give you a, a, a food stamp card that's your limit of what you can buy. But if you can grow something, even figs, which are super easy to grow, or potatoes or, or, or what have you, whatever you can grow is on top of that. Maybe you can have a cow and milk a cow or I have goats. I have Nigerian dwarf goats and we milk them for a couple of years and they have delicious milk and you can make mozzarella cheese out of goat's milk and so on. But you can augment your food supply. Maybe you can have backyard chickens, which I also have, and you can harvest chicken eggs. So that's the kind of food that's going to keep you alive if we suffer a worst case kind of you know, crash or, or collapse scenario. And, and my advice is just take it step by step. You're right. You can't do it all at once. It can be overwhelming. It can feel overwhelming if you've never done these things, but anyone can learn these skills. I didn't grow up on a farm. I didn't know anything about raising chickens or, or driving tractors really, or any of these other things, but you can teach yourself. You can learn. There's for the moment, you can go online and and watch videos and you can learn from those videos and you can gain skills and practice like how to build an H brace fence, you know, I'm living in Texas, didn't know how to build an H-brace fence, which most Texans know how to do, but I didn't grow up in rural Texas. But I learned the skill. So you can learn it too. It's just a question of your priorities. And right now, I hope people prioritize these preparedness activities to get ready for very difficult times that I think are not just coming. I think in many cases, they're already here. They're just going to get worse.
0: Also, I'm sure that you would you'd probably agree with this too. One thing that my parents and I, and just like my family in general, have been talking about is just kind of, um, you, you know, you'll handle this, I'll handle this, or I'm learning how to grow tomatoes really well, and you seem to be doing really great with onions and peppers or whatever. And so that's that, that's been a conversation that we've had. And so I would I would just add to everything that you just said that finding a community and even just plugging yourself in and and creating that kind of plan with them and starting to share resources now you know I'll trade trade some of my vegetables for your goat's milk or raw milk is kind of I don't know just going ahead and setting that up I just keep thinking and coming back to community and the fact that that's kind of what God created (laughs) created the church for and that we can go ahead and build that about build that around us as well even in even in rural communities where you feel like your neighbors are you know, miles down the road, they're still close enough to help you and come around you when, when the time comes.
1: It's really difficult to survive by yourself or even just you and a spouse, for example. The, the minimum size that, that's typically recommended in, in prepper talk is 10 to 12 people. You've got to have 10 to 12 people so that, as you just said, you have specialization of skills. Someone's going to be good at perhaps emergency medicine. Someone else may be good at security and defense, and that's something you have to keep in mind because we're entering a realm of increased lawlessness with so many of these uh, left-wing cities defunding police, for example, and police being attacked and, and assaulted all over the country. Lawlessness is really entering the picture, and with increased desperation, if if you know food stamp cards are shut down, if food supplies become scarce, even temporarily, many people will become desperate, and when people are desperate, they tend to do extreme things that they would not otherwise do. So security is a very important concern. Uh, But just as you said, it's about specialization and being able to share skills and having a a critical mass of people who can be productive contributors. And you've gotta be able to barter and trade. That's key. And just like you said, someone may be good at growing strawberries. Somebody else has a a cow that produces milk. So you're gonna trade strawberries for milk and then both of you will have strawberry milkshakes. So that's, that's exactly how the world works. And then somebody's gonna be good at growing medicine. Now, l- let me just mention this. I'm a fan of uh, vertical grow tower hydroponic systems which can be put into your home or apartment or you know, even, even on a balcony. You can grow powerful natural medicine. You can grow oregano very easily. Oregano contains natural antibiotics that kill many different types of bacteria. It's an anti-food poisoning herb, it's an anti-spider bite herb. You can grow oregano and you can harvest the herb itself using nothing but alcohol like vodka and an ultrasonic cleaner or just a mason jar uh, over time. You know, you can you can make your own herbal extracts. If you've got the right equipment, you can even extract the volatile organic chemicals the VOCs from the herbs and, and you can make essential oils as well. You can grow basil You can grow uh, lemongrass herb. You can grow medicine. So again, getting back to God and Mother Nature, this is God providing all the medicine you need for free. That's Surrounding us in Mother Nature, you can walk out into a forest and everything is medicine. The pine needles from the pine needle tree contain shikimic acid, by the way, which blocks spike protein adhesion in your body. In fact, the drug Tamiflu is made from shikimic acid that comes from pine needles and and certain other plants, such as a a specific Chinese herb named ba jiao, by the way. So uh, there's medicine all around you. It was put there on purpose. The molecules are synthesized for free, molecules that that are powerful antibacterial molecules, uh, resveratrol that prevents heart disease and boosts cardiovascular health. Resveratrol is found naturally in the peels of red grapes and also grape leaves, and you can you can make a grape leaf tincture, and you can harvest resveratrol, and you can treat yourself with natural medicine. These are just two examples out of thousands. You know, all, natural medicine is all around you, and with a little bit of know-how, you can create that medicine, and you can you 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 can treat conditions in an off-grid emergency medical situation if you know what these herbs do. You can grow them yourself, harvest them yourself, and store them, and you can barter them and help keep other people alive, even if if they're suffering, you know, dire situations. So, it's all there. It's it. it God gave it to us all. It's everywhere around us.
0: I want on to latch onto one thing that you said because you're talking about the pine needle and tamiflu and all of that stuff. I I had a. Friends share a conversation that they had um, with somebody else. You know, they were talking about essential oils, or actually, specifically, we were talking about using like a plantains that grow in your yard. You can you can make plantain salve and helps with all sorts of skin issues so whether it's you know healing from a wasp sting or you know even infection and or eczema and psoriasis and those types of things but so we we're talking about that and this friend kind of rolled his eyes and he was like oh you know oh my gosh all this natural natural medicine and my other friend was like you do realize that all medicine was derived from plants at some point like this is where it all came from. So the fact that you're talking about, you know, the the main ingredient, active ingredient, and in Tamiflu, which everyone knows, you know, is a it's often prescribed for flu. It it's got the same active ingredient as something that you can pick from your backyard. And so it's just it's interesting, and I'd love to latch onto that fact that, you know, even if you're not naturally minded or you're not necessarily thinking in those terms, a lot of the same medicine that you, that people have gotten used to, whether it's you know ibuprofen for a headache or, or whatever, there are alternatives that are just as strong and actually more healing for your overall symptoms and, and the root cause of whatever, whatever caused you that ailment. So I just find it interesting.
1: A lot of people from the realm of big pharma or in the realm of mainstream science have been literally brainwashed to think that molecules from plants do not, do not work or do not function under the laws of cause and effect, which is a very irrational and unscientific belief. So I've, I've been around lots of scientists in, in my training and in my lab. I've even taught some scientists how to do uh, some of the methods that we use for quantitation. And I've, I've had to teach many of them this very important concept. I, I would say, look, uh, let's take ascorbic acid, which is another name for vitamin C and we'll pull up ascorbic acid on a website called chemspider.com. That's C H E M like chemical chemspider.com. This is where we go to look up molecules and we can find their molecular uh, configuration, their ionization potential, you know, atomic elements that, that are used to make, make up the molecule and so on. So I'll bring up ascorbic acid and I'll say, look, here's hydrogen carbon and oxygen. Here's the formula. I said, so you understand that this molecule, look at it here, this is scavenges uh, free radicals. It's an antioxidant molecule, correct? And they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. That's how it's going to function. And I said, does it matter if this comes from a lab or from an orange? It's still the same molecule. And they will have to admit, I guess it doesn't matter whether it comes from a lab or, or an orange. So I say, I say, well, so what you're admitting is that plants synthesize... Functional molecules that follow the laws of cause and effect once they enter the body. And they'll have to admit, well, I guess you're right. And I said, well, here, check this out. And I'll show them a chart. Here's a thousand molecules from plants. Resveratrol, you know, cannabidiol, just on down the list. Carvacol, just on and on and on. Uh, proanthocyanidins and, and so on. Guess what? They're all functional, aren't they? And they'll have to say, well, I guess you're right. They are functional. And I said, these are in blueberries. These are in hemp seeds. You know, these, these are in grapes. These are in celery and just on and on. And you have to get them to think through their own process to realize that plants are medicine, that plants are functional, because until they until you take them on that little journey to to realize that they have shut it out because that's how they've been trained as doctors or pharmacists or scientists. They've been trained that plants are inert, which is absurd. If plants were inert, how does chlorophyll work? How does photosynthesis work? Why don't plants have their roots eaten by bacteria in the soil? Answer, because they make their own antibiotics. They synthesize antibiotics. Every plant makes antibiotic molecules that work. Otherwise, they wouldn't live. Even caffeine from a coffee plant. It's functional. Someone can drink it and feel the effect. Yeah, guess what? It's having an effect. So <laughs> it's the, the answers are right in front of us. It's just A lot of yeah. people just don't want to see them.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's such a shift in in uh, thought process and and it's sometimes very hard to do when you come from you know hearing so much of the same thing or it's just ingrained or you know we've talked previously on ladies of life site about you know the public school and how they're teaching or or even private schools and and just coming away from that is sometimes such a shift in in your thought process it's possible but it, it is it is pretty hard to kind of sit down and, and rationally think through okay what I've learned isn't necessarily right and how do I shift and, and come to terms with that especially if you learned it from an amazing teacher or you know your your parents or grandparents that that can be really hard and challenging so but it is I think that it's important especially given where we are in, in the climate today
2: I chuckle when you said it takes 10 to 12 people is a good number to have and I was thinking I'm almost there just what's with- you know, my kids, but <laughs> so I need to teach them. And I'm, you should write like a curriculum, try to te- help teach your kids, you know, how to do all of these things would be awesome. Because that would be, I know there are a lot of families that would probably really love that, or unless you know of one.
1: I do think that homeschooling and living, living on a farm is going to teach kids so many of the core skills that translate into all these other things very easily. So Homeschooling is critical now, especially with you know what the public schools are teaching, the, the racism and the bigotry. And living on a farm teaches kids how to work around animals and plants, work with their hands, tools, all of these things. And it also gives them a better immune system because of exposure to all these different pathogens that build up a natural immune response. So they have fewer allergies, they have stronger immune systems, they're more resilient to future infections and so on. So if you're a parent, I think, You know, two of the best things you can do is homeschooling and and at least expose your kids to a rural environment. If you can't live on a farm, at least visit farms or do some home gardening. Get your kids hands on with nature.
0: As a homeschool graduate and homeschool mom who grew up on a rural environment and now lives rural and on a tiny little... Farm. We're trying to grow our farm. I wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly agree. But I do. I will say. I think the best thing, and it's really fun to watch, is is just getting your kiddos hands in the dirt. Which you know, it's, it's who wants to get their kids dirty? But I think there's nothing better, and it's fun, fun to watch. So yeah,
1: absolutely. And then remember, as they as they become adults, and depending on what happens in our world, if there are demands on your your kids as adults to, you know, to grow their own food or take care of a horse as a means of transportation, for example, those are skills that are readily available to them. It's not a foreign yep. thing.
0: What would be maybe a couple of the most important things that you would suggest stocking up on or kind of being prepared in that sense? So we've talked about growing your own food, kind of being prepared for for both food and medicine, but there's obviously some things that, you know, Not everyone can have at their disposal in terms of growing or or raising. So what would would you maybe advise now before things get too intense? What would you stock up on? Or do you have resources that would point people towards like a list or something?
1: Well, there's an important principle first, which is to understand that stored food is only designed to transition you into a self-sustainable food production lifestyle. So you can store three months of food, and you might, you might starve before your garden's ready, especially depending on the season. You can store six months of food and have a little more of a buffer. You could store a year's worth of food, and that would give you time to even maybe make some gardening mistakes, as we've all made. <laughs> you, know, you, you ever lost you know, a crop from doing something wrong or forgot to water them or the deer came in and ate all the you know, fruit or what have you. Or wild hogs here in Texas, they'll come in and just eat everything. So if if it's about having seeds, but enough food to get you by until you can grow your, your your own food. And there are some very good resources out there. I, I, I'm not going to plug any particular one, but there are some great resources on you know, everything from square foot gardening to how to do small scale homesteading with uh, meat animals, for example, like meat goats or, or, or chickens for meat and so on. And most of the preppers that I've interviewed over the years, and I've interviewed a lot, will tell you that you need to have some combination of vegetables and some form of an animal product, whether it's milk, eggs, cheese, or meat, in order to survive. That it's very, very difficult to survive on your own as a vegetarian. They just don't have the caloric density, and they're lacking some of the key nutrients. So to think about survival, you're gonna have to probably bring animals into that picture at some point. And it's it's good to start now so that you know how to handle animals. And it's also, I would say, some people think that they can just go out and maybe hunt animals when the time comes. Well, the problem is everybody else is gonna be out hunting those same animals, and then they're gonna be hunted, you know, practically to extinction in some areas, and that's not a reliable way to do things. And it's, it's not necessarily safe in a collapse to be away from your homestead out with a rifle in the forest with other people with rifles in the forest who are desperate and starving. So <laughs> it's better to grow your own food if you can and raise it domestically. And the time to start is now, I believe. And by the way, even if there's no collapse, if there's no famine, you're going to be healthier and you're going to save a small fortune on food by growing your own food, because food prices are skyrocketing. Food futures are through the roof. Soybeans and corn in many cases are up 80%, 90% compared to a year ago. This is on the commercial market. Uh, food prices are skyrocketing. Food inflation is a very real thing. It's going to become so financially rewarding to grow some of your own food that it'll be like growing money almost in terms of your savings. You know, when a, when a red pepper at the grocery store costs $5, it really justifies the time and effort to grow them yourself. You can grow hundreds of dollars of of peppers with very little effort. So food inflation is driving this. A lot of people are getting into home gardening and hydroponics that maybe weren't before, and they're saving a tremendous amount of money. You can grow salad greens like crazy with a simple hydroponic system. You can save a fortune, thousands of dollars a year, just by growing some of your own food that's easy to grow.
0: I think it's um also important to kind of highlight the fact that you're talking about how easy some of this is because one of the conversations that my mom and I have had consistently because gardening at least in our family i don 't know if this is true for every family, but in our family my you know my parents and then even my my brother and sister in law it typically falls to the women to tend to the garden, which tends to make sense because you know the men have to go out and make sure that the fence posts are driven and those that takes muscle and so we're we're happily to settle into our our desired gender roles here because we're fine with that and comfortable with it. But I do laugh at the fact that, at least in our family, it is it is always the women, despite pregnancies or, or new babies, that we are the ones <laughs> that end up uh, out there gardening. But my mom has been talking about how much time she's spending weeding her garden every week, and I kind of felt a little bit of guilt because I'm like, mm, I can I can look out there and I can see some weeds, and I'm definitely not spending the hours that my mom is but I still have quite a bit growing, and so I I kind of want to give encouragement because a lot of our listeners are busy moms, and we're, a lot of them might be homeschooling your children, or you know they're if they're even private schooled, they're they're still helping with home- you know homework and other things like that. So we're busy, but there really is an easy way of of growing your own food and and having success in that, despite the fact that you may not do. "Quote unquote everything right." There's there might be weeds filling your potato beds, and and that's okay because, as you said, even just one pepper is going to save your save your family five dollars eventually. And so, I just want to give encouragement to to that aspect of things, and saying that that it is possible even if it doesn't look perfect and it doesn't look like a Better Homes and Gardens garden.
2: <laughs> well, that's definitely my struggle. Cause yes. I want it to be perfect, you know. I have in my mind like it has to be perfect, and yeah. I do struggle with already with trying to get everything done, you know, between yeah. working and and homeschooling and having a larger number of kids and a baby nursing all those things, getting the kids for their nap, and all, all of that makes like I've my day's already full. So now I'm now I'm going to add gardening to it. <laughs> you know, I want to. I really yeah. do. It's just, can I, can I do that? Can I make it work with everything else? And, you know, like, I feel like I'm going to put money out to get it started. You know, whatever is needed. It's if it's fencing or dirt or, you know, I live in a very sandy area. So on the beach, so, which is nice, but doesn't really help you grow that much stuff. (laughs) So I need to find things that grow in the sand and, you know, do I have, do I want to put out, can I put out all that money and then have it not work. Like that's yeah. a lot of hesitation that I have.
1: I understand that. There, there are some, some really interesting food grow technologies, including ones that work off grid. I, I actually, I put out one a couple years ago and you can make it yourself. And if you go to foodrising.org, uh, you can see the Food Rising mini farm grow box, which is made out of a just a common tub and you 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 carve out holes for plant Plant nets, plant pots in it, and you fill it halfway with water and nutrients. And the roots suspend half in air and half in water. As the plant grows, the, the water drops down, and you end up with an aeroponic slash hydroponic system that works without electricity with no weeding. There are no weeds in that system. And we have successfully grown in that system, believe it or not, zucchini, uh, tomatoes. Uh, peppers, all kinds of peppers, and then all kinds of lettuces and uh, herbs, you know, rosemary, basil, thyme, cilantro, oregano, just everything you can think of. So, and that system doesn't need electricity if you have, let's say, a greenhouse or a room with windows above, like, like a greenhouse extension onto your house. Or you can use artificial light as long as the power grid is functioning. But That kind of a system, you can make it kind of like a kid's craft project out of common containers that you can go buy at a hardware store. You can make these yourself. You can, you can, and it's dirt cheap to grow food this way. It requires very little oversight. There are no pumps to fail and it's not complex. In fact, we donated a bunch of these to, to schools all across America and schools would send us pictures of how they're teaching their classes, their, their children how to grow food using these systems and it it was very successful. So there there are some kind of innovative approaches as well. You don't have to use dirt and you can grow this also up at waist height. So if you're tired of bending over and weeding in a bent over position which always sucks, right? You can you can grow food at waist height, you, but you have to build, you know, a bench or have a have a table or a bench of some kind, but that's usually pretty easy to get. So anyway, there there are some unique approaches to this that and offer some different alternatives.
0: I grew up, you know, with just a plot in the ground because I live in the Midwest. So, so this is this is what we did, you know. So that's cool. That's amazing. I'll have to look into that. That might be a perfect solution for you, Megan.
2: Definitely check that out. I'm glad that you mentioned that, and I'll I'll definitely look that up.
1: Yeah, it it works really well. The biggest thing is bugs, you know. So you'll you'll get bugs trying to eat all your delicious garden vegetables. So you will have to spray them with something that you know some kind of like neem seed oil or natural you know natural yeah. pesticide something like that
0: well you're either going to battle you know like you said deer or, or uh wild <laughs> wild pigs so i just joked with my my husband earlier this afternoon He's talking about getting bungee cords for our trash cans so that the raccoons could stop getting into it and i said well that's fine but we need to leave at least one trash can so they stay away from our <laughs> open so they stay away from our garden He didn't like that solution too much, but (laughs) okay, so we're kind of at our time. So I kind of want to wrap this up into maybe a nice little bow on top. We've kind of started out with, you know, God at the center, that He's obviously the one that wins at the end. We know all of this. We moved kind of from that into some scary statistics, talking about where the world's headed. We talked about some solutions, which I think are really practical, applicable solutions. But I guess kind of where, what would you say at the end of all of this to our audience, to your audience? Leave us with a, with a parting word, I guess.
1: The message is from the artificial world that dominates our, our consciousness and dominates our culture. It's an artificial world of you know fake news, fake medicine, you know fake elections, even whatever. It, there's so much fakery in the world. That's poison, and that's what you need to stay away from. Tune into these Christian-based principles. Tune into reality. Tune into Mother Nature. Tune into uh, listening to what God is trying to teach you. Tune into all of these things, and you're going to find uh, safety and truth and sustainability and survival, survivability. I, I, just to summarize it again, the, the more that you depend on this fake system that's out there, with the just-in-time processed food deliveries, which is fake food, too, for the most part, by the way, the more you depend on that system, the less you're going to survive the things that I believe are coming. So it's time to get real, and that means getting close to nature and close to God, and maybe even tuning out the fake messaging and the propaganda and getting closer to the roots of where we came from and who we are, maybe the way you were raised, the things your parents or grandparents taught you to do. Those are the things that kept them alive. And that's what's going to keep you alive through all of this. Your, your grandparents are probably filled with wisdom. I mean, my grandparents lived through the Great Depression. My grandfather and grandmother at one time lived in a tent and they knew how to survive and those skills will come back as the most important skills and but you've got to have the morality and the ethics and the community to apply those skills to get through what i believe is coming
0: i just want to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your mind and not censoring because i think it's better that way <laughs> so i appreciate that so much and we just thank you so much for your words of wisdom and sharing your information i know I know I value it, and I know Megan does as well, and our readers and listeners will. So I just want to thank you for that, and then just give a give a good reminder to our listeners that if you haven't subscribed to Ladies of Life site, be sure to do that in the description below, and we'll also have a bunch of links to um, everything that Mike Adams has to offer the world and all of his wisdom and be sure to check those out as well as you're clicking through links in the description and um, we will see you guys next week